wonderful singing today. It has been a joy uh, to sing together. We'll be in the book of Revelation, and I appreciate Derek reading our scripture passage tonight, and we will get as far as we can in this really broad topic of the Antichrist and the Tribulation. We've spent some time with looking at reasons for the pre-tribulational view of the rapture, and now we're going to kind of dive in, and uh, we'll deal with the Antichrist, and we'll deal with some of the events of the tribulation. It may take uh, a couple of uh, Sunday nights, two or three Sunday nights, to work our way through this, but we'll uh, be in the book of Revelation primarily, but we'll make reference to uh, the book of Daniel and uh, possibly some other passages as well. But as we know, we are uh, looking at, as uh, we have spent some time already in our series here on our hope being in the Lord, specifically our uh, hope being in the Lord through uh, God's uh, prophetic revelations and His Word, hope and prophecy. And we have uh, been looking at Daniel's 70 weeks and specifically at the start of Daniel's 70th week, the rapture of the church, over the last couple of Sunday nights. Well, now we are going to take some time and we'll work through, uh, with the Lord's help, this period of time known as the tribulation, and obviously one of the central figures of that time period is the Antichrist. And this is probably one of the most debatable, or one of the most talked about, one of the most mysterious uh, figures in in human history. The near fulfillment of uh, Daniel's prophecy uh, regarding the Antichrist is Antiochus Epiphanes, as I've mentioned already, the Persian king, intertestamental period, and it was actually uh, as a result of uh, Judas Maccabeus, and his resistance against the Persians that the Jews now celebrate Hanukkah. And that is not a Jewish feast that is found in the Bible, but was added because of the intertestamental period when Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple and persecuted the Jews. And he is the near fulfillment of the true person of the Antichrist, who we identified uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. So the Antichrist, that person who is still a mystery to us, though people have been trying to guess, and I won't name any names, but there are some people right now, some political figures right now, that people would say that person might be the Antichrist. We don't know. That person may be alive. There does seem to be a preparation for the kind of things that we are going to see in the tribulation, and the world is being prepared for the Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. John talked about it before he even was taken to glory, and he talked about the spirit of Antichrist being in the world. And it's very obvious, especially today, as we see all that's going on. And we get caught up in all the technology, and we get caught up in all of the different ways in which the Antichrist and his one world government will operate. And we don't necessarily know all the nitty-gritty details, but we can certainly see certain things 
that would make it more possible now than it was even 25, 30 years ago. So let's talk about this, and I need to go ahead and, and plug this in here so I can make reference to it if need be. But we're going to be looking at Daniel's 70th week, and we're going to be looking at this period of time right here. And you can see we have the rapture of the church, which we spent some time on, the covenant between Israel and the Antichrist. The Antichrist breaks the covenant with Israel. And then, of course, the second coming of Christ ends that time of tribulation. So let's talk about, first of all, the image of Daniel 2 and identify down here at the bottom, which is not specifically stated in this, um, in this particular rendition of the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but we are going to be referencing these ten toes of the image. And I'm sorry if the pulpit blocks some of you from being able to see this, but those ten toes are going to represent the, the revived Roman Empire. And out of that will come the Antichrist. So I want to make that a point of reference tonight as we get started. So, the description of the Antichrist. Let's look at what the Bible says about this wicked man. Let's first of all identify him from Daniel 7 and verse number 8, where he is referred to as the little horn. And then we see in Daniel 8 and verse 23, he is identified as the king of fierce countenance. He's also described in Daniel 11 and verse 36 as the willful king. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, which we looked at last week, he is there called the man of sin and the son of perdition. And then we see in Revelation, and this is maybe the most common identification besides the Antichrist, the, the, probably the second most common besides uh, the title Antichrist, would be the beast. And I think there are books and there are articles and uh, various, maybe even movies, Mark of the Beast, we talk about the Mark of the Beast and the beast being the Antichrist. So let's go to Revelation 13 and let's look very quickly here as we work through some of what we know from the Bible about this wicked man who becomes, in a sense, the embodiment of all that is evil and satanic, inspired by, quite likely even possessed by, a demon or Satan himself. In Revelation 13, in verse number 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So we see beast, we see uh, out of the sea, which is just a reference to coming out of the world, out of the world's population, out of the sea of mankind, having seven heads and ten horns, seven being the perfect number, speaking of authority, having uh, authority among men, and out of that the ten horns, and that is often a reference to that ten-nation confederacy, the revived Roman Empire, and some have speculated, is that the European Union? I don't know. I don't know. But I remember when the European Union was forming, people were saying, see, that's the revived Roman Empire. I, I don't know. But there is a ten-nation confederacy. The ten horns represents the leaders of each of those ten nations, 
And upon his horns ten crowns, of course, crowns speaking of authority, ability to rule and lead. And upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The dragon, of course, being Satan. And the symbolic language just speaks to the fact that he had, he has, or will have, a leopard-like activity in leadership. He will also have aspects of bear-like rule. His mouth will be like that of a lion, so his ability to speak will be with power and persuasion. And he will have, obviously, satanic power, and he will have his seat and great authority. So this is a diabolical man. This is a wicked man. And again, he is the greatest representation of Satan in human form that we will ever see. Uh, He is diabolically evil. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That's a lot to digest. But let's focus on who this Antichrist is. And I'm going to try to keep it somewhat alliterated so we will see the diabolical ways of the Antichrist. Let's look, first of all, at the fact that he is going to rise up out of this ten-nation confederacy, this revived Roman Empire. Referenced there in Revelation 13, in verse 1, the ten horns. And in Daniel chapter number 2, the image that I showed in the artist's rendition of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that image, the toes of that image. We understand from these passages that he will rise to power by deception and flattery. Okay? This is not that surprising when we see how mesmerized man is with the ability to speak, with charisma, with someone who has a lot of the language of tolerance and love is love and all of the therapeutic language that is so common that has creeped into the church. Okay, I'm not saying that everything that is sold in some of these bookstores or these book outlets that has Christian slapped across the top of it, not saying all of it is bad. 
but I am really kind of disgusted with Christian literature that is mostly just therapeutic. There's a lot of parent helps that are out there, and many times it's just, you go, mom and dad, you can do this. Life is so hard. You got all those bratty kids, and you just have to give up so much, and it's just like it's a pep talk for us as parents when many times we need a coach who will instruct us on how to do the day-to-day, how to live in the grace of God and practice biblical principles. And much of what I see oftentimes in Christian literature even is this therapeutic, nicey-nice, love is love, everything, yeah, let's just all get along. Where, why is that creeping into the church? Because we have a culture that's that way. And the Antichrist is going to step right into that. Because everything is about, let's all just get along. I, I get sick and tired of customer service Christianity. I get really disgusted with it. No one should ever disagree with me. No one should ever say anything unkind. No one should ever say anything hard. Never should we ever be confrontational in any way, shape, or form. If you disagree with me or I disagree with, disagree with you, that means we hate each other. And we should, bat, we should go into our tribal corners and duke it out over the internet and send our salvos across. And we have Christians now that their idea of problem solving is to drop a nuclear warhead on a thumbtack. And that's the way we are functioning, sadly. So when someone comes along and says, oh, let's just all get along, tolerance, justice, equity, and all those code words, critical theory is even in the midst of all this. And we have Christians now who are buying into it. It's no wonder the Antichrist will step in with glowing words of flattery and people will buy into it. Look at what our country is voting into office. Look at the capitulation by even one of our senators here in Indiana on this respect for marriage bill. And I have emailed him. I almost said his name. I'll be careful. You can find out very quickly who it is. I've been in his office. I've been in Washington, D.C., and I've been in his office. He has sold us out. And it makes me angry. And I sent him a long email. Uh, long email. Because he does not deserve our votes when he's selling out our homes, our churches, and our families to vote for a lie that undermines the fabric of our nation. The Antichrist is going to swoop in, and we see the way some political figures and the way some celebrities are treated. They are godlike. Again, I'll use the illustration of these. 13 and 14 year old girls who go to these concerts and they goo goo gaga over these boy bands and these rock stars and they are mesmerized by these immoral men who could care less about them or these immoral women who are not a good example and the parents who send their kids and allow them to be mesmerized and to put their posters on the wall and dress like them no wonder the Antichrist will walk in. We are fools. We are mesmerized by the celebrity, nicey-nice, customer service. And I love Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a great restaurant. I prefer it even more than McDonald's. 
because you can get better service and better food. This is not a commercial for Chick-fil-A. I'm not sponsored by them, believe me. But we have bought into this model, even in Christianity. If we just had a Chick-fil-A Christianity, my pleasure, if everything is just my pleasure, have it your way. Is that the Burger King thing? And we're, we're buying into that. And any disagreement, any confrontation, there's churches that would never handle, and I'm not patting myself on the back in any way, shape, or form, but there are churches that couldn't handle this kind of preaching because it's too confrontational. And I understand that. I've dealt with it for years. There's a confrontational aspect to preaching. Now, we have to exhort and reprove and rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. But there is a two-edged sword piercing of the Word of God that I think a lot of people can't handle anymore. They just can't handle it. Everything has to be therapeutic. Everything has to be nicey-nice. And if somebody disagrees with me, then they are haters and they need to be canceled. And it's creeping into the church. And the Antichrist is going to step into a world that is prepared by this kind of mentality. We don't have time to go to all the passages, but the deception is very clear. It's one of the prominent ways in which the Antichrist is described. And is not Satan the father of lies? And he lies in order to do what? To murder. He is a father of lies and he's the murder. He's a murderer from the beginning. What do all of these Marxism and communistic and humanistic philosophies and ideas, what do they ultimately do? They yell lies, repeat lies over and over. And what does your history teacher and my dad used to say? If you say a lie loud enough and long enough, people begin to believe it. And so Marxism and communism and all those anti-God, humanistic philosophies and world systems, religions, they're all about lies in order for Satan to masquerade as an angel of light, and he seeks to destroy, to murder, to take people to an eternal hell, and to ruin the testimony of believers, and to to destroy God's church. That's the spirit of the Antichrist that's in the world today, and it is preparing the world for the Antichrist who will come with deception and flattery. And isn't it interesting that he will have a religious counterpart? He'll have a religious persuasion to go right along with this. This is ecumenical, this is ecumenism at its height. How is this possible? I don't completely understand, but we can see the the roots of this already. How the Muslims and the Catholics and all the different denominations and religions, world religions, how they are going to come under a one world religious system, I don't know completely, but we see these ecumenical movements to take what is common and to agree on what is common to all of us. And basically, many times, these ecumenical movements, they just boil down everything to the least common denominator. And they find something that they have in common, and they agree on that. 
And it's no surprise that in Revelation 13, beginning there at verse 11, we see another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Two horns like a lamb. Interesting. He'll come in like a lamb, smooth, and he'll appeal to the religious, spiritual nature of man. As I mentioned this morning, we are eternal. We have a soul. So there is a spiritual part of man that seeks religion, that seeks meaning, that wants to worship. And now we've come to a point in our culture where the God is me. I am my own God. I determine my own truth, expressive individualism, etc. Well, is it not a surprise then that the false prophet will come right alongside and there will be a religious aspect to the Antichrist, one world government domination? Because man will be looking for some sort of ecumenical religious aspect to this government, this one world system. Verse 12, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This is going to be so deceptive, because there are so many people who want an experience. They want signs and wonders. To take the word of God and to study it and meditate upon it, to sit under the preaching of God's word, to be under the teaching of God's word and to rightly apply the words of truth. People don't have time for that anymore. They can barely have time for an eight second TikTok video or reel. They got to move on to the next page. We're being dumbed down in so many ways. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch reels, though most of them are just stupid. And uh, TikTok is selling our personal information to China. And on and on we could go, but it's the dumbing down. It's no wonder that there will be great wonders and fire coming down from heaven. People are going to be mesmerized by this. They'll be conditioned like the frog in the boiling water, like the lobster that you cooked for your Thanksgiving dinner. It, I'm just joking, but you know, that frog, that lobster, it just, it just slowly the water heats up and eventually the water boils and the frog, the lobster is dead. And that's the way the world, in a, in a sense, is being prepared. Verse 14, deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And then we don't have time to read through the rest there. But all of that supposedly supernatural acts of God that he is going to mesmerize the people with. It's not about the word of God. It's not about the faith. It's about experience, and it's about a false God who is set up. He points to the Antichrist and says, he is your answer. And he is doing the bidding of Satan. It's, it's, it's evil. But we see the, the way the world is, again, being conditioned for these men. False religion will be a tool of his deception. Revelation chapter number 17. I've already talked about this a little bit. But Revelation 17 talks about uh, the, the woman 
And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we see the harlot, the harlot of Babylon. We see, again, that religious aspect, this false teaching that will come alongside the Antichrist. Lies and deception, satanic power. Again, I don't want to get too carried away and get on too much of a rabbit trail, but there is, and I know that not everybody that is involved in the charismatic movement is deceived to this level, but there is a lot of vestiges of this kind of deception in the charismatic movement. The slaying of the spirit, the knocking down of people in mass, the hitting on the head and people going into convulsions. I dare say that some of that is demonic power. And I believe that under the false prophet, that is going to be going on in mass form. Arenas, concerts, stadiums, I don't know how it's all going to look, but that is going to be part of how the false prophet is going to deceive. It's not the power of God. It's the power of Satan. It's not focused on the doctrine of the word of God. It's devilish and deceptive and demonic. And it is empowering man and ultimately a man called the Antichrist. It's empowering him in his rebellion against God. And it's, it's, it's just diabolical. I don't know how else to describe it. And people are being duped into it, even to this day. We also see, at some point early in his rise to power, he will receive a wound unto death and be healed, causing the world to worship him, and ultimately, Satan himself. That was what we read in Revelation 13, 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. Now, there's debates... Does he actually die? Does Satan have the power, or this Antichrist, the power within himself to rise back up again? I personally don't believe that he actually dies. I believe that he has a wound to death in the sense that it is a wound that appears to be fatal. I can only imagine in my eye, in my mind, all the different news networks, Here's this man who has risen to power, and it's early in his rule, in his reign, and he is, there's an assassination attempt, something along that line. And the 24-hour news networks rush in, and you know how it is, and they gather outside the hospital, and the doctors, they're brought in from all around, the greatest surgeons, whatever. I can just imagine what it's like as the news is broadcasting and all of a sudden the news comes out that he's going to make it. People will say there's no way he could survive that. I I don't think that Satan has the power to raise back to life again. That's where I base that on. I think the keys of death and life are in the hand of, of God. So I don't think Satan has the power to raise someone back up to life. I think he is... There's an assassination attempt, something that looks fatal. 
How can this man survive this? All the medical technology, the greatest doctors, surgeons, all the news media, everything is focused, and all of a sudden news comes out, he's going to make it. And then on a day or two or whatever later, he walks out of the hospital, and he's waving. I can just see it. The news networks are there. Everybody is tuned in, and they're saying, this man has to be a god. He survived this assassination attempt. I can imagine whoever tried to kill him is being used. You know how the spin is? Just like this shooting, this horrific shooting out west in Colorado Springs is being blamed on Christians and being blamed on conservative media, conservative politicians, when none of us would ever say, to go into that kind of a bar and shoot people. None of us have ever said anything like that. We consider it horrific. We consider it horrible. We would never say to do that. But I can imagine this whoever, again, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating, I should say, it's an assassination attempt and the spin machine is out and that's just going to cause people to adore him all the more. He's going to use that. Along with the false prophet, the signs and the wonders, All that deception. And again, is not the world being prepared for this? Is not the world being conditioned? The things that people believe, the things that people will agree to, the things that people will spend their money on and their time on. And and, and it's just, you can see how the world is being prepared. You can see the, the world being ripe for someone like this. We continue... He will sign a peace treaty with Israel and allow them to resume sacrifices in the temple. Now, what will the temple look like? How will the Muslims agree to the temple being rebuilt? These are questions I don't have the answer for. Uh, I understand that there's some red heifers that have been delivered. I understand that there is someone out there who is claiming to be some sort of Messiah. I, I I don't know. I don't understand and I can't get into all of that. I I don't want to get carried away here because you can go to the far corners of the internet and find all kinds of ideas. And I don't want to get caught up in all that. I want us to try to stay as close as we can to the Word of God, understanding that there has to be some resumption of the sacrificial system, which, which means there has to be the red heifer, there has to be some rebuilding of the temple that the Muslims have to agree to, I disagree with the two-state policy. I disagree with the the two-state solution, Palestinian and Israel. Maybe that's something that will somehow get forced on and Israel will agree. I, I don't know. But there is going to be this peace treaty with Israel. Now, one of the questions that comes up is, where are we at this point? And I, and again, I cannot be dogmatic. Are we going to be raptured before the Antichrist is revealed or after he is revealed? I can't be 100% sure. I don't know, but I know that it's going to be in somewhere in that time frame. We may have an idea, or we may not. We may see some of the things that are happening to bring somebody into power, and then God takes us. I don't know for sure, but there is going to be the peace treaty with Israel that he will agree to, and the sacrificial system will start back up again, and somehow, some way, there is going to be a measure of peace on the earth for a short period of time. We'll get to that. 
when we talk specifically about the tribulation. This is where some of these things overlap. Letter G. After three and a half years, he will desecrate the temple with an idol. Matthew 24 in verse 15. Matthew 24 in verse number 15. Again, we have to remember that Matthew 24 and 25 are dealing with the tribulation. They're not dealing with the end of the world before the rapture. Matthew 24 in verse 15. Jesus says there, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And then we, talk, and then we see in verses 16 and 17 about the fleeing into the wilderness and the great tribulation starting. There's that abomination of desolation. Daniel 9.27 is the passage that is being referred to. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 4, which we looked at last week. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4, Whoso, excuse me, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. At that point, at the three and a half year mark, when he desecrates the temple, sets up an idol, calls himself God, and does so in the temple, the Jews realize that they have been wrong. They realize that they have been fooled. That this political ruler who they wanted has actually been a deceiver. The treaty is broken. The temple is desecrated. Blasphemous occurrence of an idol. Again, the near fulfillment, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, according to the historical records, he sets a pig, slaughters a pig on the altar. Okay, This is the kind of blasphemous activity. I just saw a headline this afternoon. I was checking the news and horrific blasphemous activity about our Savior once again that made the headlines. Made me so angry I just wanted to throw my phone. The Antichrist is going to do something far greater than that. And I can't remember the details of what I saw. I just did a real quick check of the news and I saw someone had blasphemed our Lord and Savior and it made headlines. There is going to be a holocaust that would probably be worse than what even happened in World War II when Hitler slaughtered six million Jews. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 16, the Jews will flee into the wilderness to run, to hide. He will start a persecution of the Jews. And then we see also that he will be killed at the battle of Armageddon and cast into the lake of fire. So, after seven years, having had a one-world government, having been the highlight, the climax of everything that man thinks that he can have and accomplish, God speaks the word, and the armies of the Antichrist are defeated. And the valley of Megiddo will be so full of blood, it will be up, I believe it's to the, the horse's bridle. And it will take seven years, uh, from what I understand, for even the munitions, the armaments to uh, quit burning, something along that line. I, I need to go back and, and look that back up again. But here is what man wants. A one 
world leader. Someone who is everything that man says he needs to be or could be or should be. The Antichrist is even described as someone who does not uh, need or want the, or have the desire uh, for women or of women. Does that mean he's a homosexual? I don't know. Does that mean he is non-binary? Which doesn't even exist. Okay, that's fiction. There's no such thing. What, what does that mean? I don't know exactly. Could the false prophet even be a woman? I, I suppose, but we see male, uh, the, the male gender being used to describe the, the false prophet even. So there's going to be this bringing to a head as the Antichrist leads his armies. He's going to have people in places of leadership taking the different munitions. I can only imagine the rockets and the missiles pointed up into heaven waiting for Christ to come. And the Antichrist is foolish to think that he can defeat the armies of God. And just like that. And what's going to be amazing is us as believers, we're going to be in that army of God. We're going to be behind him, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and watching as Christ speaks the word as he comes again and annihilates the armies of the Antichrist. That's going to be better than any video game, any Call of Duty or Modern Warfare, or whatever those VR things are. It's going to be far better than that. We're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, watching the greatest battle ever, and Christ is going to be the victor. And there's going to be victory in Jesus, like we've never seen before. And even so, Lord, come quickly. We, um, we don't have time to really get much into the, the next section, but I do want to just put these up, and we'll come back to these. As the Antichrist is stepping into power, the seal judgments begin. Okay, the first seal in Revelation chapter number six, and we'll come back to this next week. The first seal in Revelation chapter number six, we see a white horse, Revelation six and verse two, and behold, a white horse. This speaks to how the Antichrist will come to power with a relative short-lived worldwide peace and signs the covenant with Israel. It corresponds. The second seal, war. Shortly after that, there is war. There's going to be war that breaks out around the world. You take away the church, you take away God's people, you take away the full ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, you better believe there's going to be conflict. And there's going to be wars that are going to, that are going to break out. The third seal, economic collapse. There's talk of the Great Reset, uh, and whether that will occur uh, at this point in time, it, it seems to be uh, something that could very well happen in this third seal. Uh, maybe it's something that will happen before that. I certainly hope not. But you can see how the, the world is, again, going that direction. One of the ways that the Antichrist will consolidate his power is through economic collapse. Governments love to have people in poverty so they can depend upon the government. The government can tell them what to do, what to eat, how to live, where to go. They can be a number in a system. 
We see it in the communist Marxist governments, the dictatorships, the authoritarian, totalitarian countries around the world. That's what they do. The Antichrist is going to use that to his advantage. And then we can see by the fourth seal, 25% of the earth's population dies. That's the pale horse. The pale horse is actually, when you look at the original language, it's the word from which we get our word chlorophyll. And from what I understand, chlorophyll has the look of, the, of, of a body as a person dies and their skin changes color. I remember seeing this with my dad when my dad passed away. And there's a discoloration of the skin and the pale horse, that word there, is describing a color that would be representative of a corpse. Death. 25% at that moment. If there's 8 billion people on the earth, what is 25% of 8? 2 billion, right? 2 billion people dead in a short amount of time. I don't know how the post-millennialists and the all-millennialists or post, I'm sorry, post-trib, um, maybe the mid-trib, I can kind of see where uh, you know, they might try to, to argue for a, a mid-trib, but a post-trib um, and, and the post-mill, post-mill and all-mill, how, how do they explain you know, some of these things? How could these things have already happened? We haven't had anything like two billion people dying in a short amount of time. We see martyrdom and then cosmic calamities, and then the seventh seal, there's silence, earthquake, and announcement of the next judgments. That's a quick head start into what we'll look at, Lord willing, next week. That's a lot of material. That's a lot of information. A lot more passages that we could look at in detail. Who is the Antichrist? I don't know. But the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. And we've got to look out for it. We've got to be discerning. How do we recognize the spirit of Antichrist? By studying all of the world's religions? By doing a deep dive on all the ecumenical religious activities going on? No. By the Word of God. By knowing the truth. By being in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. By walking with Him. By knowing God's Word, we can recognize the error. We can see the or sniff or smell the spirit of the Antichrist that is out there and stay away from it and not participate in it. And not be involved in it. And live for the Lord and live a pure life. And be ready for when the Lord comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, this is deep material to to kind of wade through, to, to work through. But Lord, this is your word that gives us hope that gives us some answers and and, and helps us in preparing and understanding. But Lord, it should also motivate us to share the gospel, to reach others for Jesus Christ, to be a better father or mother, to be a better grandparent, to love you more, to, to serve you better, to live a holy life, Lord, that we can do everything with your strength and by your power to be the salt and light that we should be and to turn people away from the wickedness that's to come and look to you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to uh, live by faith and to occupy till you come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek's going to come and lead us. We'll close tonight with one stanza of 
beneath the cross of, I think I turned to the wrong page.